0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Main Menu for the 13th of January 2017. I am your co-host Jason Castonguay. Is your office ready for a new Windows? This week we bring to you the first in a two-part series which tells you all about what's coming from Microsoft. All about the Windows Creators update, and Narrator has some significant updates, and there's one feature in particular about which I am very excited. We have many people from Microsoft with us on the call, and Joe Steinkamp joins us once again. When we return next week, we will be focusing more on Microsoft Office 365 and the updates therein. There may be a little time left over at the end of the show, and I will try to throw in a tidbit or two. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
2: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu. This week, we have an extended interview with Microsoft Corporation, and we brought a slew of them to you to talk to you all about Windows and Office 365 and uh, feedback programs that are available at Microsoft and so much more. And uh, hello, Jason. How are you? I'm doing very well, Jeff. How about you? Good. And Joe, welcome aboard, sir. Ah, thank you
3: for having me back. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk about Windows, Microsoft, and of course my
2: personal favorite Xbox. I, I oh yeah, we're gonna have to talk Xbox a little bit. Yes, one day yeah, we'll have we'll have to do that someday. Uh, and maybe maybe Megan can uh, sneak that in somehow because she's such a rock star, the, the the lady that she is, and she was the runner of Diet Cokes at Microsoft, which I love her to death for. So thank you <laughs> Jeff, for that.
1: You way too kind. You're way too kind. Ah! <laughs>
2: So, um, Megan is uh, here as part of the corporate accessibility uh, structure at Microsoft, and she's going to introduce everybody to us, and then she'll start with an introduction to Microsoft accessibility, and then we'll get into Windows and Office and so much more. So, Megan, take it away.
1: Okay, great. Thanks so much, Jeff. It's, It's really great to be here. My name is Megan Lawrence, and I am the accessibility technical evangelist here at Microsoft. So... I think that I probably have one of the most fun roles at Microsoft because my job is really to get out and tell people about all the work that we've done here at Microsoft in accessibility over the last year, year and a half. And to do that, I brought together a bunch of people, um, accessibility drivers from throughout the company. I'm gonna go around and let everybody introduce themselves and give a little background. We'll start with you, Kelly.
4: Well, thanks, Megan, and uh, to the ACB main menu folks, it's uh, great to hear your voices again and be back with you. I'm Kelly Ford, one of the program managers on the Windows Accessibility team working on
5: Narrator.
1: And Brett?
5: Well, hi, I'm Brett Humphrey. I'm uh, one of the PMs working on Narrator as well, along with Kelly and other folks. So it's great to be here today. Thanks for having us. Larry? Hi, I'm Larry Weiss from Windows
6: Accessibility. I'm one of the PMs working on Narrator and Braille, something new. Look forward to the rest of the interview.
1: Fantastic, Larry. It's great to have you here to talk about Braille. Malvika? Hi, I'm Malvika and I work in the office marketing team. I look forward to seeing many of you in person at CSUN hopefully
7: in March.
2: Oh, I'm glad you'll be there.
7: And Elsa? Hi, I'm Elsa. I'm a product manager on the OneNote team, working on both accessibility and general usability as we treat them as related on our OneNote team.
1: Great, great, fantastic. So as you can tell, we've got just a really round team here um, of accessibility drivers from both Microsoft Windows and Office. As Maldica said, we will be at CSUN this year and we are very excited to let everybody know that we have 16 talks this year, which will be hosted throughout the three days of the conferences and it will range from you know, what's new in Windows, some of what you're gonna hear today, all the way through innovation where you're gonna see a particular product being launched while we are at CSUN. So make sure that you take a look uh, for, for us at, at the conference. So I wanna give everybody just sort of a broad overview of what the accessibility corporate mission looks like. So Jenny Fleury, who's our chief accessibility officer took the position just about a year ago, a year ago in January actually. So we have had just this incredible opportunity to build the corporate accessibility team over the last year um, and be, supported by the leadership and the key accessibility drivers in Windows, Office, Cloud and Enterprise, and also Microsoft Research. So as we built out our corporate team, we are now 24 people strong, and that includes people who are driving in our four main areas. So we really are looking to support the company and and the accessibility drivers throughout the company in product services and websites, where we understand and absolutely are meeting accessibility compliance, but we're moving beyond that because we recognize recognize that usability in products is what really helps everybody stay productive and connected. then we are really focused, you know, the way I like to describe it is it's two sides of a coin. We've got the accessibility of our products and services, but we've got the inclusive environment in which they are developed. So we actively hire people with disabilities throughout the company because we are incredibly committed to reducing the unemployment rate. We also work very hard on innovation and we have dedicated accessibility and innovation researchers that are focusing on changing really what's possible for technology for people with disabilities. And we understand that accessibility is really that platform for which we can see innovation take place on top of. But none of that would be possible without the collaborative partnerships that we have with NGOs, such as ACB, because we recognize that the feedback from our customers is really what drives not only the accessibility of our products and services, but usability of our products and services and underlying all of that is readiness now we want to ensure that everybody throughout this company is capable of talking about accessibility to really educate and inspire our customers because we believe that when we empower people to create accessible content to develop inclusive environments whether that's at school work or at home we recognize that people are more connected and more productive So, I'm going to now kick this conversation back to Kelly, where he's going to get down into what we are doing with Windows. Over to you, Kelly.
4: Well, thanks, Megan, and Jeff, and everybody from the Windows team. As you know, we were here with you last summer talking about the anniversary update, and a few months have flown by in the calendar, and our entire team has been hard at work on what we are calling the creator's update to Windows with a variety of
2: changes that we're happy to talk about. All right, Kelly. Well, thank you very much. Why don't we start out by talking about the general goals of narrator and direction uh, as far as where we've been and where we're going.
4: I think we have a few goals with narrator overall, and Brett and Larry, please chime in. We've been evolving narrator over time to really work on trying to make it easy to learn and easy to use I would say, are two of our more overarching goals.
5: Okay. Brett, do you want to talk about that? Sure. One of the great things about kind of easier to use and and easier to learn is that we're really trying to get a consistent experience. You know, one of the things that we'd spent time talking about a little bit last time was scan mode, and how do we really just make Windows work and feel and look all the same over time. And so we've taken some steps in the area of kind of making that Something to use and able to kind of move through and uh, get a more consistent experience through applications.
2: Right, and so you're really trying to look for consistency across applications as well and the interactive experience? We believe it's
5: critical that if it's consistent, whether you're in Office or whether you're in a new Windows app or whether you're just using the shell, um, we want that really to be consistent because we want to really lower that barrier to what does it take to learn and make it just easy to use no matter where you go.
2: Okay. So now one of the most visible changes that we're going to see immediately in this update coming out in the next couple of months is a change to the narrator hotkey. Uh, can you tell us why, why was that changed?
5: The core reason we've changed the narrator hotkey is due to feedback. So it's kind of interesting when you have win key enter, there's lots of things that uh, folks do like win key p to do projection and then they press enter while still holding down the windows key. And so we had a large volume of errant activation of Narrator by folks that don't need it. So although they learned a lot about it, it really wasn't in opportune times like in the middle of meetings and trying to present to their peers. And so we had a lot of uh, feedback saying, hey, look, is it possible to kind of reduce the accidental activation of Narrator? So what we've done is added another key to it. So it's Control Win Key Enter. So it's a slight change, but we believe that will reduce the uh, kind of accidental activation but still be as helpful to folks to be able to launch Narrator and continue to use it wherever you go.
2: Do you expect that change to move across to things like Xbox? Because we know now that uh, if you have a keyboard, well, let me ask Joe that. Joe, I believe that Windows key Enter with a keyboard connected to Xbox will launch Narrator, right? Correct.
3: Especially when you're launching Xbox for the first time and setting it up, you can uh, connect a keyboard to that and use Windows Enter to be able to start Narrator and go through the launch process. Right. Also, that doesn't change the... Windows volume up, I believe also, because I have a Surface Pro, so you can still use that correctly in the latest builds, I think, as well.
4: That's correct, and much like Brett talked about, and we've talked about a consistency of experience, we do expect that change as the creators update, which is an insider preview right now, rolls out, that keyboard change will propagate to all of our environments, whether you're launching Narrator on the desktop connecting a Bluetooth keyboard to your phone or the Xbox, the hotkey will change to control Windows Enter.
2: Okay, good. So, Larry, there's a huge change coming in this release that I think people are going to have some real excitement to uh, talk about when this hits the street. And why don't you tell us what that is?
6: Narrator is going to have Braille support for the first time ever. Built in. Sort of. Today, we have a set of narrator settings that you can get to under ease of access in the settings UI. And down near the end, you will now find a button that says download and install Braille. And what that will do is that will download and install and ask you to accept the fact that there are some open source modules that narrator will be leveraging. For those who are interested, the open source modules are Braille TTY and LibLui, both of which have a fairly large community support. And we've been working with them and actually contributing some fixes back that we've found during our testing. So once you have downloaded and installed, which you'll have to do once, then you'll have options to do things like turn on Braille and select a Braille display. Because we're leveraging the open source modules, we'll be able to support about 30 manufacturers displays. And under each manufacturer, it's multiple displays. So it's quite a large number of displays right out of the gate. And because we're leveraging LiveLouis, we'll have support for about 40 languages. And in those languages, in many cases, there'll be support for grade one and grade two braille as well as uh, uh, some of the additional variants like you know uh, computer Braille or unified English Braille. And in other languages there is a some of them have a unified uh, table as well. That'll be how you get started. The one thing that I'll point out is that you'll want to also take a look at the narrator users guide. There'll be a new section under there that will have information about Braille, some helpful kind of background getting started get going, and then there'll be uh unique information for specific displays that you'll want to familiarize yourself with once you have x y z display you'll want to look that up and say oh here's what you know how the mapping is for that particular display and in most cases there's a brief section at the beginning that says and here's what we call each of these buttons <laughs> that way when uh, you may think of them as something different, and that's fine. But we call them specific things, and you can then say, "Oh, that's you know, that's where those buttons are, and that's what they, yeah, you know, how we interact with them." I so, ama- yeah, I was going to say, I imagine there's a number of questions. So, do you have any questions about that?
2: Yeah, so I have a couple questions, and Joe or Jason, just chime in if you have more. But can you talk to us about the actual startup experience here? Can I just plug in my Braille display, and you'll auto detect? or do I have to go through a configuration dialog and have it find the braille display or what, what are the expectations there?
6: Great question. In the UI for the narrator settings, after you've downloaded it and installed, you then have to go through a UI that says, choose a braille display. And you can choose you know, one or two displays, however many you have for whichever ones you actually might actually plug in. And then in some cases you would also specify which port it's connected to. Okay. Um, the other I, thing I wanted to point out is this is very much a initial release. We have Braille brought up, but we expect there will be some cliffs where you hear something, but you don't see it in, on the Braille display. And for that reason, we're calling this a beta because it's coming in so new that we know that there's going to be things that we've missed. We're looking forward to getting feedback on all the things we've missed so that we can start uh, working down that long list of features. And uh, quite honestly, we'll probably have some bugs in it too. So,
2: Okay, yeah. I think I know the answer to this, but it would be good for others to know the answer. Mm-hmm. What about Bluetooth? So if you have a device that has Bluetooth, can we connect via Bluetooth if that device supports it?
6: Great question. Because this is initial bring up, we focused
5: on uh, wired displays. And I'll just leave it at that. To Larry's point too, just to, to emphasize it, that it is important to know that it is a beta and it's great. We're super excited about it. And we know that we'll need time for feedback and to refine it, but we're excited to be able to bring that out and, and let people use it and get feedback because I know it's been one of many long requests. So. Super excited. Okay. With that I one said, other...
3: you must have a long list of ideas and features for the roadmap. Is this generally output or is Braille input not available in the beta or something coming down the line?
6: Uh, so, we will actually support both input and output. The one thing that we have right now is because this is an initial bring up. When you specify a Braille table, you're specifying the table to use for
2: both input and output. Ah, uh, Okay. Okay, that's great. So you can enter contracted or uncontracted? Braille then? That's correct. Oh, so you got translation and everything in there. Excellent. Okay.
6: That's uh, leveraging some, you know, the Liblui open source module. That's good. Uh, It's it's a very powerful translator. And one of the things that I know people have been concerned about is the uh, level of quality of the Liblui UEV. And um, that's generally a reputation attributed to an older version we're using the latest version and the quality of that translation is actually much much better
2: so well, I, I think, think people well, yeah. are happy for that. i think with you and all of the at vendors starting to utilize liblui that's going to really make it really strong because we have lots of people now contributing to it and making it better and better all the time exactly. i'm going to
3: go uh, i'm going to go on the record here real quick and, and throw down ever since the service arrived with its 10 point touch screen I've always talked on many a podcast, my dream of Braille input on the surface itself. Uh, and of course iOS got there a little faster, but it would really be neat if that could be a feature that could be spun up in the future. Cause that's always been one of my dreams of the surface and its ability to do
2: that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a perfect so you, size to be able to lay your hands right on it. Yeah. So you're saying actually type in Braille on the touch screen sure. itself on the surface. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that, Larry?
6: Uh, I think it's a great idea, and uh, we'll uh, add it to our list of things that people want, because All right. we, we appreciate that. It's an interesting uh, input method, and for people that know Braille, it sounds like it could be a pretty efficient input I method. I think it'd be
3: pretty interesting to see that on a Surface Studio, you know, uh, just tilted backwards, you know, and <laughs> people just doing that at a booth, and it, it, it certainly attract a lot of attention.
5: Absolutely. I want. It makes me want to go buy two of them now. So
3: yeah, that's right. One for each hand, right? Yes. Yeah. There you go.
5: Nice. Nice. Well,
2: Larry, I'm going to come back to you here in a minute because I have a question about Braille about our next topic, which is unassisted installation experience now. And uh, Kelly, I think you own this one.
4: Yes, Jeff. This is something that um, we're excited about having available. We recognize this won't be for everyone, but for those folks who like to tinker or who otherwise want to do a a clean install of Windows for the first time when the creator's update is out, we'll have moved things forward where this is possible. You'll be able to create uh, a bootable media such as a USB stick or whatever other method you're comfortable booting your computer off of We do recognize that there will be a one-time kind of configuration change for folks that are familiar with what's called the computer BIOS to tell your computer that it needs to boot off of this media. That's generally not the default. Um, But if you're able to make that change with assistance one time, uh, then when you have uh, something like a USB stick in your computer, that same hotkey we've talked about a couple times already, Control-Windows-Enter, You can press that and bring up Narrator and kick off a Windows install. Do things like, again, choose your partition, reformat partitions. If your computer is in a a broken state, there's some advanced uh, recovery options that are available there. Uh, And even get to the command prompt off of the bootable media. Again, we don't expect that everyone will use this, but I know, in talking with you, Jeff, and other folks who work in the i t business, we think this will you know enable more independence. I know for myself, when we first enabled this, it's something I told my my team the first time I used it, you know, I was doing something on my computer, and it didn't go right, and I actually left work with a smile. Because I knew I could take care of it myself by booting <laughs> off the USB I love that. and uh, <laughs> fixing it.
2: That's really, really great. You know, for a long time, a lot of people got Macs for this very issue because they could install Windows independently with things like VMware Fusion. So this is really going to open up a lot of opportunities for people who do consulting or people who just want to troubleshoot machines. It's fantastic. Now, this brings up all kinds of questions, Kelly. What about sound cards? What what are you recommending in reference to sound cards? I'm sure that, you know, if you have a Turtle Beach sound card or god knows what's on the motherboard of of a machine, it may or may not work, right? So what what are you recommending that we do to to solve that problem?
4: Our best recommendation if at all possible is to have a USB headset. As you know, Jeff and as your listeners may or may not know, Windows comes on a wide range of hardware and in this initial loading period, as you mentioned, say, pick some obscure piece of hardware, the drivers and, and systems may not be there. And so what we have seen is USB headsets and oftentimes, we well, we know, uh, for example, if you're using a Surface, the internal speakers on those computers independent of a USB headset, will work. Again, there's always that caveat. I've probably done this myself on 12 different computer types and actually had the onboard audio on all of them work. I don't want to lead people into a a false expectation. This is something that we continue to explore. But USB headsets, if you have one, is likely in this initial release the best chance of success and newer hardware more than legacy hardware definitely the uh, newer hardware generally probably has a a better chance
5: i don't know if it's worth talking about or not but around the usb audio sticks and headsets and i think the nice thing is they're fairly low cost and so you can get a usb audio device for you know ten dollars so the nice thing is we believe the cost is low and and with newer machines, most are putting USB audio on board, but there still is a possibility of it not working. so
2: and a lot of headsets come, you know with built-in sound card stuff in them. Yes. you know so yes. so you can plug in a USB headset and probably there's a good chance it's just going to pick it up as a sound card anyway. yeah, correct. yeah,
4: that yeah. that's correct. And as I say, you know this is something that we continue to explore and again feedback from our customers will help us shape the experience over time
5: yeah one of the things that I, I hope is resonating as we're talking here is that feedback please feedback we love feedback and more feedback and particularly true with these new experiences whether it's braille or usb i booting off a usb key or whatever so like please keep feedback coming
4: I do want to make sure that your listeners, Jeff, know by default, again, very few computers are configured to boot off of uh, media like this by default. And so there is that one-time change you'll need to make and either be comfortable with explaining to someone about how to change the boot order
2: of your computer. Right. But once you do it, you can leave it set that way. In other that words, is if you correct. don't have, right so there, it really truly is a one time uh, change and larry for users who are deaf blind my guess is no but i'm going to ask anyway can we turn braille on in this mode when we're booting or is that not yet available in the stack
6: that's not yet available in the stack um, okay. as i explained with earlier you have to do the uh, download transfer right. first and right. that ui won't be available to you in the uh, the uh, boot off media environment that's a limited environment with limited memory available right and uh it it just won't be there yet Uh, no problem we're we're talking about some ideas we might be able to do in the future but for now we understand the requirement and unfortunately it's not there yet
5: okay i think to jeff if i may for a second to To extend your question as well, in the pre boot environment and also in the out of box experience for the first run experience when we're not yet connected to the internet, Braille won't be available there either. So in pre boot and initial UBI, it will right. still be keyboard and audio.
2: So, yep, to- no, no problem. Yep. That makes sense. I mean, you're not even connected to the net yet. Yeah. So you can't yeah, get exactly. The, you know, so, right. Okay, well, let's turn our uh, eyes now toward web browsing and other related changes to scan mode, and let's talk about that. First thing here is an all-new forms mode. Kelly?
4: Yeah, so we've uh, added, again, something I think that most folks are familiar with. Um, And again, when we say easier to learn, we don't want to force people down uh, new learning if they're used to something in the way – It seems like it should work and we try to be consistent with perhaps other experiences so we have done a couple of things here when scan mode's on we've enabled some of the basics that you might expect Uh, so earlier you could hit h for headings and t for tables and all the other keys that are documented in our user guide what we've added now is a few more keys so for example F will jump to any form field. That could be the collection of checkboxes, radio buttons, and stuff. E jumps to edit boxes, C to combo boxes, and and so forth. And the nice thing, as Brett has talked about several times, is those keys work across scan mode in, in any application, so not just web pages. But if you're using an office application or modern application and you turn scan mode on you get that same experience to be able to jump to the various form fields. The other thing we've done is narrator as your listeners may be familiar with has a concept that we call views. Uh, These are outside of scan mode how you can navigate to various objects like uh, links and, and tables. So we've added a a forms mode here as well so that you can jump just to form fields. I find this uh, particularly helpful. For example, if I'm using touch and want to fill out a form on a web page or in an application, I can switch to forms mode and quickly jump to just the things like edit boxes and checkboxes while I'm using touch. So. In one sense, it's probably something you're, uh, people are familiar with because you've used this on other products. In another, it's it's another uh, evolution of scan mode, I think bringing what customers would hope to have and we've heard on feedback.
6: Something I'll add to that, Kelly, is that, that same sort of navigation that uh, Kelly described both in, in scan mode and form field navigation uh, will also be available For Braille users via the Braille interface. So if you're in a web page and you're on a Braille display, you'll be able to, if you have your Braille display with a keyboard, do things like type a C for a combo box to get to the next combo box or some of the other ones that he mentioned. So we're keeping things consistent both between Braille and and keyboard
2: that way too very cool and and now you've extended this to other areas as well like headings right kelly uh
4: yes again so scan mode uh, when it first came out supported a typical heading navigation h to jump to headings we have added now the ability to navigate by heading level by typing as you would expect the number of the heading level so 1 to go forward to the next heading level 1 and so forth uh, all the way up to uh, surprisingly to me at least when we first added it i wasn't aware of this um uh, i think people that are familiar with the web are used to being able to go to, from headings one to six but i'm told in office they support up to heading level nine so we actually support navigating up to heading level nine and adding a shift to go in reverse
2: okay and then then you've done some other uh, smaller refinements to scan mode as well specifically have to do with moving around in text and things you want to talk about that
4: yeah just a couple last changes Uh, again just in the continued evolution a scan mode when you're on text um, or and you press a down arrow it reads a line of text to you until the creator's update though if you wanted to go to the starter end of that line you couldn't hit one key to do that you would have to move by word or character so again We've added home to go to the start of a line of text that you're hearing in scan mode or end to go to the end. And then playing off of that, if you want to go to the start of the text, you can hit control home and we'll move to the top line of text and and read it. And uh, control end to go to the bottom line of a text and, and read that.
2: Okay. Another major improvement in narrator is context awareness.
5: Yeah, context awareness, we're super excited about it. One of the major pieces of feedback we've had is the ability to, hey, you no, know, as I move through items, do I go in and out of groups? As I switch to another app, where did I land? And so there's kind of three pieces that kind of fell out of context awareness. I'm going to actually put it a different way. There are three things we designed into context awareness. And one is really as you move through UI, here you're transitioning through groups. If you're on a PC UI and you want to know, well, heck, where am I? You can hit caps and uh, slash, you know, and it will tell you, hey, look, here's the items from, from the item and kind of work up the tree so you can understand that I'm on a two-line that's in the uh, Outlook window that, of this mail. So you can kind of understand your path from that location. And then uh, a long-awaited-for feature and request as well is that Caps t will tell you the window that you're in so we have kind of three pieces of the, kind of the next evolution of information and in Narrator through that.
4: And just as Megan, I think, alluded to, some of the changes that we're talking about are literally hot off the proverbial presses. Um, if you're using the Insider Builds, CAPS-T does not do that today. It will when the Creators Update comes out. But for folks using Insider Builds, uh, Caps T is a older narrator command that we don't believe is used. Our developers actually made the change uh, yesterday.
2: Huh, talk about uh, real-time updating here.
5: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It, it does depend on when you, uh, you want to do the actual podcast. So, yeah, Kelly's got a good point. We just make some of those changes. And actually, in the back of my head, as I was saying, and I'm like, wait, did they get in yet? So, uh, <laughs> so I'm glad Kelly yeah. knew the answer.
3: Well, staying within the Microsoft ecosystem, how does this work with say the surface dial? Do I have contextual ability? does narrator interact with that i I wasn't really sure, and they they won't let me stay in the Microsoft store long enough because I keep hugging the surface
2: oh come <laughs> on Joe <laughs> uh,
5: the first uh currently um, the surface dial does not interact with narrator okay, so it is um there's been feedback and requests for that, and we're just taking things one thing at a time. Um, so we're really trying to get through the basics and make it easier. And and there's clear, great uses for uh, the Surface dial in the near future.
3: Does that uh, play into touch? I know I've asked this question back in the summer, Kelly. Um, keyboard nav has been kind of the the driver for the team. And I made a comment about touch. Uh, how does that come into play? Because I use touch a lot naturally because of the the devices that I have here in the house um but i find that the touch uh controls have been very more responsive each build i've been super impressed uh and and really thrilled and and that's generally on tablets where i've been going more and more
4: i i think uh that's i'm glad to hear that your experience in, is improving i think overall windows um is working across the hardware ecosystem to get our touch experience you know to be responsive I would say for us right now uh, keyboard still tends to be a a driving mechanism first um, just because that's what we hear from a a wide range of our users. Um, We continue to support touch and uh, think through how do we evolve that as well.
5: One of the things that's also interesting is that I'm glad you're noticing the performance improvements. We uh, continue to spend time on performance and if you've been especially in the the upcoming uh, releases, you'll notice that the smoothness of reading has uh, really improved, and that response time has really improved. So we've really spent time tuning, hey, from when you press a key to start reading, to be as fast as possible, uh, to be smoother when we read, and to pause less. And So hopefully some of those things are coming out. As a result of that work, it is also going to improve touch. So those those really do go hand-in-hand. So, you know, it's great to hear that it's getting faster and great to hear feedback as uh, the next set of updates continue to come out.
3: Well, I'm a strange person. I also hook up my Xbox One controller and drive Narrator that way. So if you get any weird telemetrics, (laughs) it's my fault. (laughs) Awesome. Now
5: we know who the one is.
4: That's uh, great. That's great, Joe. (laughs) And if we could, uh, I hope, Joe, uh, and maybe we can do a, a more detailed podcast on this, One of the things that is also coming out as a part of the creator's update is uh, a much more extensive set of narrator commands from your Xbox controller. Um, We will have the ability to navigate by uh, various uh, narrator modes uh, off the Xbox controller. There's really a full command set that we'll detail in our user guide when this comes out, but uh, you'll be able to, I think, do more. I, I hope you're pleasantly surprised. (laughs)
3: <laughs> uh, there's enough buttons on there to keep me occupied, but yes, absolutely. And, and for those who don't know, um, the latest version of the Xbox controller, the 1S controller, uh, is Bluetooth enabled. And so you, you can actually drive that uh, via Bluetooth. And that, that is actually a pretty nice thing to be able to do. And um, a lot of the Xbox UI is actually able to be read with Narrator. Uh, which is also nice because again I can look at my friends list and do the social aspects and uh, go through the the ability to follow along on Xbox from there. And the reason why I bring that up, and I and people ask me on Twitter why I do that, there are a lot of parents who don't have the ability until recently to kind of monitor what their children are playing or uh, who who they're running into on Xbox Live or things like that. So the the ability for that. Uh, accessibility to be there on purpose or accidentally is still great for parents who want to be able to have conversations with their children about what they play or monitor. So um, I do that mainly because I am a gamer, but secondarily uh, I do a lot of, of of assistance to those who are purchasing that kind of product. Uh, and so they can know what to expect when working with their children. And I can easily say that there were about four blind people over Christmas that contacted me via Twitter to ask me questions about setup for Xbox. So um, it is getting out there, and it's you know it's a device that is a part of the Microsoft ecosystem, and it talks to the diversity that you were talking about at the beginning of the program.
2: Yeah, Joe, and David Woodbridge is going to be coming out with a series of podcasts on his Xbox experience, uh, so everyone keep an eye out for that, for his podcast, and, and he, he'll be talking a lot about that, but we would love to get the Microsoft uh, Xbox team onto main menu and talk more about it.
4: I think that I think I just want to. Uh, one of the things that you said, Joe that resonated at me was was at times it is just the parent who wants to check up on their on their child or other uh, anything like that where you are using uh, Microsoft technology in a wide range of environments and with a wide range of uh, users with different abilities in any given environment and we are trying to bring not just our our narrator, but our overall accessibility uh, of all this, and I'm sure Megan will talk about this more in the Office team, uh, to the whole ecosystem.
2: Excellent. Well, that's a good transition, Kelly, because we wanted to talk a little bit about the narrator changes as it relates to Office. We'll be talking a lot more about Office and what the expectations are as far as what versions you should be running, but we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But did you want to talk about the Office or office changes, or Brett, do you want to do that? I'd like Brett to talk about those. All right. So, Brett, there's been some changes in Narrator for Office 365 as it relates to language as well as formatting information.
5: And can you tell us about that? Yeah, you bet. Uh, As always, we spend uh, time working with our friends in Office, and uh, we've been doing some fun things this time around. I've got some great feedback on wanting to be able to read and hear multiple language documents in narrator if you have the languages installed it will switch and automatically uh, use that voice if it doesn't have that voice it'll tell you hey look i'm entering russian and it may or may not be able to speak it in that particular tts engine that you have but at least you'll understand what's going on and then, as it switches into a language it knows it'll just switch and keep reading and so we spent some time uh kind of tuning that so you can really read and understand multi-language documents. And that also extends into the UI. When you think about spell checking, if you have a word that's in French, but you're reading an English document, you will have a mixed command. So on the command, it might say spelling in French, but the word might be in English or vice versa. And so narrative will switch back and forth, um, both in the text area and in UI as you go through the UI.
2: Uh, Brett, does that work with right to left languages such as Arabic or Hebrew? Yes, sure should. Okay. Oh, that's great. We have, we have people here at our university actually who uh, would definitely want to use that. So that's fantastic.
5: Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. Uh, yeah, look forward to any feedback they have as well. So um, okay, yeah, let us know. But then we've done some uh, some extended work. We know that when you're looking at uh, particular objects, like what is the foreground color, what is the background color? There's lots of attribution that goes with uh, with objects themselves, and so we spent some time. Um, Kind of extending at the time, it was what used to be uh, CAP0. And today, you know, we want to get to this extended information, you do CAPs F, and we'll, we'll go through it in parts for you. So we'll tell you about kind of font family, then we'll tell you about um, other color information. And so there's about eight categories of uh, just detailed information you can get out of objects. And so the nice thing is, um, F will take you through the list. Shift F will take you backwards through the list. So if you know kind of either end of which way you want to go get data, we've kind of helped optimize the direction to go get that data. There will be detailed information in the uh, in the user guide about what are the things that we speak and um, and what's available. And so, I think you also had a follow-on question around what versions of Office. um, I would have to ask the Office folks. Yeah, it's, well I, I think
2: I think the bigger question is what applications do these new features work with? Is it strictly related to Office only at this point? Or do you expect that, that as UI automation extends to other applications that it will work as those features are unlocked with UIA?
5: Oh, awesome question. So yeah, certainly the newer versions of Office will support it, but without question as it's, any app uh exposes that information to UIA, Nerd will pick that up. And I really appreciate that question because um, one of the continuing premises of what we do is that the UI data is there for any and all apps. It is a public API, and Azure does a great job of trying to consume just those public APIs. So that's really a one-to-one correlation. So as apps add more information, you will automatically get access to more information.
2: So do you expect that that will extend to things like Edge, for example? Uh, maybe you're on a website and. You know, they'll, uh, a, a developer might put some text up that says, you know, these things shown in green or these things shown in red on the page, which is, first of all, not that accessible. But let's just assume that they did that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah, people that do these things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. Some,
5: yeah, some of the information is available, like uh, the font information, foreground and background color there. What's interesting is that there's a wide range of ways that you can map some of this data in the web. And so the web mapping to UIA isn't fully concrete yet, but sure. we're continuing to both work with the Standards Committee and with Edge, and so certainly our goal over time is to, to bring those things online.
2: Okay, cool. And uh, I would say you know, WordPad and others will, will get there as uh, that stuff comes in line?
5: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the nice things about uh, WordPad and a number of the XAML fields and those uh, both text fields and rich text blocks and rich edit fields, a lot of them are backed by the very similar technology. So um, we kind of that is a shared component actually across Microsoft in some cases. So yeah, more and more of that will come online. And what about Windows Mail? So I'm going to say it in, in two parts. The inbox mail will actually be able to take uh, advantage of these as well. They are backed by Word, and so Word has put this work in there as well. So you'll be able to go get the extended font information and color and foreground foreground color, background color. So that attribution will be there.
3: I find okay. when I do testing, I usually use the Microsoft store because uh, uh, naturally uh, that's, that's money and revenue. But moreover, um, that tends to be a really good complex site uh, slash page that is great for being able to test Narrator on very quickly, um, especially, you know, because you have edit fields and buttons and all multiple types of things there too. So that's usually one of the first places I, I play around with whenever I, I get a new insider build. Um, and for the most part, that's fun to do uh, with touch or keyboard. Um, I also end up picking up a stray app every now and then or uh, spending some time in uh, movies and TV, which is probably not good to my bank account. But uh, for the most part, that, that works exceptionally
2: well. Absolutely. So, Kelly, there are uh, some other highlights coming in the Creator's Update, uh, specifically dealing with more languages and Xbox controllers and uh, dynamic audio ducking so can you fill us in on that
4: uh sure um so as i mentioned earlier um, we are as a part of the creators update we will have support for uh, the xbox controller with more narrator commands and then uh, we'll be adding support for another i believe it's 10 tts languages again our user guide will detail the all of these and then Uh, Brett, did you want to talk a little bit more about the work we've done with audio ducking?
5: Yeah, you bet. We've had uh, consistent feedback that, hey, we would love to have um, certain aspects ducked. So if I'm typing along and a narrator is talking, I would like movies to be ducked and audio to be ducked. But once narrator is done talking, to please bring that audio back up. And so we spent quite a bit of time working with uh, the audio team. Uh, Audio ducking is Common when you have phone apps and other uh, classes, so we went we went and worked with them to say, hey, look, a screen reader is running. Can we build a screen reader class for ducking, and so that um, it can be just automatically managed for you? And I have to say, it, it's super great. Uh, I've lived with Narrator without dynamic ducking for a long time, and it's just it's fantastic to have it. One of the things we we've also done though is that. And that same capability that's built into the OS that we use, we've made it available for third-party assistive technologies as well, so that um, the underlying OS system can manage the ducking this in the same way it does for Narrator.
2: Now, we're already seeing that in some screen meters, like JAWS for Windows, for example, has it. Um, is that, is that us, utilizing that technology, or is this a different API you're releasing?
5: Um, it's a, it's an update to an API for uh, for the third-party ATs. They've okay. spent a, a lot of time uh, working and managing mixers and turning applications up and down, and that that's a fairly complex bit of work. It is. Um, but in some cases, people want to tune those differently. So um, there's value in in doing that tuning uh, today. Um, it's kind of it, our dynamic ducking is is not. Um, app controllable today. It's specific to apps and specific to audio streams. If it's a movie or an app playing music or a communication app. So they're kind of based on channels, whether we duck or not.
3: I use narrator on a lot of machines for testing. Uh, I bounce back and forth. And one of the things that makes life so much easier in that kind of environment is the ability to kind of sync preferences from machine to machine. So when I log on with uh, my windows account, they, they, things that I already have set up for narrators, such as uh, speed and pitch and the like, are going to go ahead and transfer over because I allowed them to sync through the Microsoft account uh, interface. Um, That, for me, has been very good because I know a lot of people, when they get to a machine and log in for the first time, you're kind of like, oh, I got to go through the configuration. Oh, I got to set this. I got to set that. I got to do like 30 things. Well, this is one of those things I can check off that list. And I think it's one of the features that kind of gets not mentioned as much a lot of times been put into syncing and the like account features crossover uh wouldn't you say kelly
4: i would say that's uh, true joe and and, uh it's probably one of those things that uh hey when it just works you don't think about it um i know i i log into a lot of different machines and um a lot of the settings not just for narrator but other things sync uh, if you so choose obviously you can turn this off if you want but i I do think it's great that you call that out where um, uh, you do get that, uh, you know, your preferences uh, with your Microsoft account can come with you. I know that Brett uh, has uh, looked into this as has Larry, and settings in general are things that we continue uh, to explore.
3: Well, it really helps with um, high contrast. So if you're a low vision user uh, and you don't want to go through the hassle of doing high contrast theme all the way across or... Uh, maybe even a backdrop, you have your favorite backdrop, uh, you could go ahead and set that and it'll carry it across as well. So from a low vision standpoint, having some of that to come across uh, means less configuration on a new machine, uh, especially if you have to go and fix somebody's machine for the holidays. I'm just saying I have an
2: actual use case for that. so it's (laughs) Yes, right. Um, So Kelly, before we transition back over to Megan to start talking about Office, I assume that the user manual found at, I believe it's aka.ms slash narrator getting started. Is that still going to be uh, the right place to look?
4: Yeah, so it is uh, aka.ms forward slash narrator get started. Um, Okay. And um, we're in this period where we've talked about a lot of things that have changed in narrator uh, because of the insiders program. So those changes aren't yet detailed in the user guide, um, but the user guide will be updated uh, in time for the time creator's for update. Um, right. and, and most importantly, as Larry mentioned, um, right, all the Braille displays and command mappings uh, will be there.
2: OK. And I assume this will just be a Windows update, as uh, we've done in the past?
4: Yes. Microsoft, we've talked about um, uh, the general updating uh, Will be just uh, an update.
2: Um, Okay, good. And and for those that, uh, Megan, for those that are still on Windows 7, do you know if the free offer for those that are using assistive technology is still available for those needing to get to Windows uh, 10?
1: Yes, the uh, Windows 10 free update for assistive technology users is absolutely still available.
2: Okay, great.
0: I would like to remind you that we will be continuing with part two next week, introducing the updates for Microsoft Office 365 and OneNote. Now, remember a while back when Janine did her demonstration of BuzzClip? Well, we had some questions from our audience, and in this next segment, Janine answers those questions.
7: Hi everyone, it's Janine Stanley for Main Menu, and I have a couple things to report as a follow-up on our demo of the Buzz Clip. Well, first of all, I have used my Buzz Clip a little bit more. Um, was able to detect a car where I thought a car might be, but didn't exactly want to walk up, and my dog was trying to avoid it. So that was good. It was a stationary car that had pulled up somewhere, and I was able to use the Buzz Clip to figure out that yeah, there is actually something there. So. It can do that. Um, it doesn't do as well. I Just for fun, I was standing at the curb and kind of playing with it with passing traffic, and it's not quite as good at that stuff, but, uh, you know, it certainly does buzz when something is at that seven feet in front of you level, which is a little scary, but uh, I have sidewalks with um, very narrow sidewalks with very little verge if no verge between the sidewalk and the street so it was kind of interesting to see how close those cars were uh, were coming to me i knew they were close but (laughs) we had some questions about the buzz clip and i want to thank mary and doug from our main menu audience mary says that she has been using this type of vibrating technology since the moat sensor days and doug has purchased a buzz clip uh, I did write after a question about pricing from Mary to the good folks at Immersive Technologies to see how much the Buzz Clip is selling for, because it was kind of hard to find the price on the website. It is selling for $249. That um, does not include delivery, so there is an additional delivery charge, which can be fairly significant. I am not sure exactly where the Buzz Clip is coming from at this point, but wherever it's coming from, the delivery charges are rather significant on that, according to Doug. Doug had asked about the battery, and he learned from Immersive Technologies that the battery within the Buzz Clip will need to be removed by them. And it has a life of five years. The Buzz Clip has a one year warranty when you purchase it. And they haven't figured out about battery pricing, but the five-year life is estimated with quote-unquote normal use, which I would assume would be using it, you know, two or three hours a day, maybe, etc. Although it can be on for as much as eight hours a day. If you want more information about the Buzz clip or would like to purchase one, you can do so by going to immersive.com, that's I-M-E-R-C-I-V, Com. Notice there is no E on immersive.
0: I want to take this moment to remind you once again that we have part two of all this Windows coverage next week. And we'll be covering Microsoft Office 365 and OneNote and accessibility updates there. Main Menu is a program sponsored by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It can be heard every Friday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream, and it repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can listen on any internet-connected device, use ACB Link for iOS, get it as a podcast, or call 605-475-8130 at airtime. If you have any ideas or suggestions, or would like to submit a tech demo of your own, Please feel free to email us at mainmenuacbradio.org. At you can also reach out to us on Twitter at mainmenu. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Main Menu. We'll be back next week with more Windows coverage.